This Week in Startups is brought to you by Squarespace. Turn your idea into a new website. Go to squarespace.com for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, use offer code TWIST to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. Zendesk. Qualifying startups can join the Zendesk for Startups program and get six free months of Zendesk products. You'll also get access to an exclusive community of startups for advice and connections. Visit Zendesk.com slash twist today to get started. And Republic. The team at Republic just announced the select sale for the Republic Note, a profit-sharing security token which lets investors share upside of companies that raise on Republic. The token is now on sale to accredited investors at republic.co slash note. Hey, everybody. Welcome to This Week in Startups. I'm your host, Jason Calacanis. I'm an angel investor, entrepreneur, writer, and podcaster here in the Silicon Valley. Uh, And been doing that for, well, I've been an investor for just over a decade and a journalist for uh, two solid decades, an entrepreneur. Um, And one of the things I've seen over my career is... Uh, the amazing effort it takes to become an entrepreneur, the amazing grit, um, and what needs to be overcome when you decide that you're going to go into a profession where 80% of startups are fully expected to fail. And failure is the norm. And we got used to that. But that does not mean that this failure is just something that easily rolls off people's backs. We look at the numbers in aggregate and we say, well, if those 80 companies failed and 10 of them did okay or were a push and then the other 10 paid for all the failures, that feels like a great economic system. It feels like almost the perfect risk-taking machine. And in fact, it is. It's why America punches so far above its weight. That's why we have the greatest companies in the world that go from country to country, not in decades, but in years. Whether it's Google, Uber, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Tesla, we have American excellence because of this risk-taking. But I know these people personally, and I'm not just talking about the people whose companies went to zero. I'm talking about the ones whose companies went to the moon. And it takes a psychological toll, whether you win, lose, or push. And we see this happening across the broader economy as well. As Americans and the Western world has seen things like longer life expectancy, and we've seen uh, shelter, food, and just the basics uh, in Maslow's hierarchy of needs get filled a lot of extra time uh, emerges. And then a layer that we didn't expect, a twist and a turn in the story, in the narrative, which is with this extended life period, uh, social media, and maybe the expectation that you are not doing as good as the other person. Maybe that Instagram account that you follow is showing you private jets and islands and guitar solos that you wish you had and maybe you feel just a little bit like maybe i'm not as good as everybody else or maybe there's something better out there that i'm not experiencing and you layer all these things together and what we've 
tragically come to, or perhaps it's a good sign that the reason we die today is that sometimes it's at our own hands. Suicide is increasing in the Western world. It's becoming one of the leading sources of death of young people. It used to be we killed ourselves from drunk driving. We smoked cigarettes. And now we die most frequently from an abundance, an abundance of calories, uh, sometimes an abundance of time. And mental illness is tough to talk about. And people are embarrassed by it. And sometimes people even look down on people who are suffering from mental illness as weak. Well, I can tell you, we've gotten really good at identifying uh, different mental illnesses, different learning styles. And in fact, we're learning that some of these things that we classified as mental illness or a malady of some sort, in fact, might be some sort of superpower. And then layered on top of that is that we look at young kids and we say, hmm, this one doesn't have executive function and won't sit in their seat. We need to give them a pill. And we've, won a gr we've run a grand experiment from Gen X on of giving pills to kids to make them sit and shut up and listen. And this is a topic that is worthy of discussion. Today, we're going to have that discussion. And we're going to have that discussion through the lens of entrepreneurship, because this is a program called This Week in Startups. This doesn't mean that the wider discussion is not important. Of course it is. But we want to talk today specifically about founders and mental illness, mental challenges, uh, and, and the surrounding solutions, and generally open up the conversation. Dave Morin came on the program to talk about depression. Uh, and some of his struggles and some of the work he's done. Uh, and today, my good friend Josh Felser is going to come on the program. He's a venture capitalist like me. We invest in companies together. He's an old school entrepreneur who has now spent his time and dedicated, um, you know, his second and third act in life to supporting other founders. Uh, welcome to the program, Josh. Thank you, Jason. You heard my introduction there. Um, and um, what what did I... Uh, say in that introduction that you think is important uh, to you to focus on in relation to the entrepreneurial uh, community. And what what did I miss? Because I'm no expert on this. I was a psychology major, and I actually thought that I would go on to get my graduate degree in forensic psychology or industrial organizational psychology. In fact, I thought I would be an FBI agent and profile people uh, and be a detective or because uh, I come from a family with a lot of law enforcement and firefighters and then the like, where I thought maybe I would become an industrial organizational psychology and study why people make decisions in business and the like. But what did I miss? And what have you experienced? And what are you doing? So first of all, when I was preparing for this program, just I did a search on you and mental health, and I was delighted to see that you have been <clears throat> talking about this publicly for quite a while. And, and before it was kind of more in vogue today to talk about. And so I was, I didn't know that until I, until um, a few days ago when I actually explored. I mean, how much time do you have? You've covered uh, a lot. Um, well, let's start with you and the work you're doing today. And then maybe how you came to do that work. I'll do that. And then I want to touch on one thing you brought up that I think is very important for us to capture is 
there is a higher incidence of mental health, mental illness, mental conditions, a higher incidence among entrepreneurs uh, versus the, the general population. And it's important to accept that and, and really understand what that means for those of us that have the power to help. And it does lead into what we've decided to do at Freestyle. But I wouldn't have chosen to direct freestyle in this way if I hadn't had my own personal experience with, with you know, a mental health challenge. And I think that personal experience is what led me to really to urging freestyle to provide the support that we're providing today. And, and so I could, yeah, we yes. should get into that because I, you know, we, we're not like best friends. Uh, in fact, your, your partner, Dave, I'm, I would, I'm definitely better friends than with you, but we see each other. We're associates. Right. And, and, Knowing you, uh, we've hung dozens of times. We've been in the same conferences for decades. I would never perceive you as suffering uh, in any way. And so this is an right. important, I think, just pausing moment that we all have to have the empathy for each other to just know that the other might be suffering and to not make any assumptions. So to the extent that you're willing to, maybe you could share with us what your challenges have been. Sure. Um in fact, my challenges are why I'm an investor and not an entrepreneur anymore. Uh, so back when my second company uh, that I did with Dave, it, was, it became known as Crackle. And it, it was the most stressful, challenging experience of my life. And I tried to hide it from everyone, including myself. And I didn't deal with it. And at some point, uh, near the end, we sold the company, but at some point right around the sale, I started, uh, I noticed that I wasn't sleeping at night and I, and I wasn't sleeping, I couldn't sleep for more than an hour. And no matter how many hours I slept, I couldn't stay asleep for more than an hour. And it went on and on. And even if I slept 12 hours, I still would wake up exhausted. And I had a sleep study done and it was, I was diagnosed with sleep apnea, which, which is, was interesting because it, it, it just was a rapid onset um, kind of experience. The short story is that I had to spend a year trying to cure myself. And eventually, I was diagnosed as a, uh, in a way that, that UCS, UCSF had not really seen anybody contract sleep apnea the way I did. And they actually said that somehow the stress, the, my, mental, my mental health, had translated into a physical ailment. And... Well, this, this seems completely logical. I mean, the mind yes. and the body are so interconnected, obviously. We like to think they're different, but we've seen too often that stress is the leading killer of men. Uh, yes. That is just a statistical fact. A and we'll, you will see anxiety um, in uh, mothers as opposed to fathers increase uh, after yes. a child enters the picture. These are just statistical. There are gender differences uh, and and. Uh, anxiety, when you think about what could cause anxiety in a person's life, being responsible for a child or being responsible for a startup, which many people will say is like being responsible for 50 children, not to infantilize right. your employees, but you right. do get this sense of massive responsibility. And was it that massive responsibility, that weight on your shoulders that uh, you think disturbed your ability to sleep, which then in fact can have that negative cycle where the, 
the stress causes a lack of sleep the lack of sleep causes an inability to focus at work which then causes more anxiety etc a hundred percent it was the burden of being responsible for the employees for my family for our investors you know really feeling that at my core and and again it it translated into kind of constriction in my jaw, which translated into sleep apnea. And so no one could diagnose me that it took a year to figure this out. As the stress went away, my sleep apnea went away, my sleep returned to normal, and I recovered. Amazing. But it was such, it was such a lesson for me. You know, also the, the traditional medicine didn't really help me figure this out. Stanford diagnosed me as a classic sleep apnea case with a CPAP and Thankfully, the head of UCSF really got in there with me and figured it out. Uh, so, so they were so looking at the smoke, the symptoms. Yes. They didn't look at the fire or the coals and where the smoke was coming from, which was the anxiety, et cetera. So they're, they're, right. they got a fan on the smoke or they're blowing water right. on smoke, but they didn't get to the fire. So don't assume that just because you're going to what I think is the, the preeminent institution in, in dealing with sleep, that they would have the right answer for you. You have to take you know, control of your own life in this way, because, you know, my, in my situation, if I hadn't, I would have, I'd be bringing a sleep, a CPAP at night, and it wouldn't have solved the problem. All right, when we get back from this quick break, I want to talk to you about um, um, what, how you recovered to the extent that mm -hmm. you're willing to share that. I know it's very personal, yes. but, you know, you, you, we, we did have a discussion about this before you came on the pod. Uh, yes. And, and you, you said you wanted to talk about it and you wanted to make it personal so that other people wouldn't, um, you know, feel ashamed in any way. So we'll talk a little of bit course. about how you recovered from it. And then I want to ask you the question that I think a lot of people wonder, uh, I certainly wonder, which is, are people who have mental uh, illness uh, mental challenges, mental uniqueness. I, f I hate the word illness because I, I like the word like they're just unique mentally because... I mean, condition. A condition, a condition a sounds word. slightly it's better, better than illness, it's right? It's like... Right. Um, so right. let's we'll go with condition for now uh, uh, or uniqueness. <laughs> Are they drawn to entrepreneurship in a larger proportion or does entrepreneurship cause people to have mental conditions when we get back on this week in startups? Hey, do you have a great idea? Do you want to turn it into a beautiful website? This way, you can reach out to your customers and partners and basically change the world. Well, I just was thinking the other day, wow, you know, we're doing so much remote now and there's all these demo days that can't occur in person. What if we had a remote demo day? And I checked to see if the domain was available and remotedemoday.com was available. And then I said, hey, let's put up a Squarespace site. And my team rallied in a couple of hours we wrote all the copy, we got a video made, and we had a beautiful website up and running at remotedemoday.com. This is what you can do with Squarespace. You can basically come up with an idea and start building your website, whether you want to blog or publish content, maybe you want to sell a product or you have a service, maybe you want to promote a physical or online business, or maybe you want to announce an event or a special project like I did with Remote Demo Day. Well, Squarespace is the answer because you build it once and it's beautiful and it's customizable and it's so powerful with this e-commerce functionality built in and analytics built in and you can choose between over 200 extensions. You'll get great analytics, search engine optimization, free and secure hosting and 24-7 award-winning customer support and it's all optimized for mobile. That's what you get when you use Squarespace. They do have that 24-7 award-winning customer support waiting for you. Go to squarespace.com for a free trial and when you're ready to launch use the offer code TWIST and you will get 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. 
Uh, thanks again to Squarespace for supporting the podcast for years and for making amazing, amazing software and amazing platform and having just that incredible wherewithal to just release feature after feature. Great job over there at Squarespace. Okay, let's get back to this amazing episode. All right. Josh Felser is with us, and uh, we're going to actually bring in a couple of founders he works with uh, a little bit into this segment, hopefully, um, to talk about mental uh, conditions, illness, suffering, um, and, and how to manage being a founder and the management of the stress and the management of the responsibility. Josh, uh, the stress was causing the sleep disturbance, and you started to get into that negative cycle we all know. Um, I've been pretty upfront about uh, my own personal suffering during the pandemic, which is, you know, I'm working twice as hard than I ever did. And everybody told me during the goddamn pandemic, I would, ha I could take up a hobby. I, I mean, when, when am I going to take up a hobby? All my founders are suffering and calling me on the phone. Some in tears, some laying people off. Like I, when does this hobby occur? Uh, it doesn't. And, um, I'm particularly uh, unable to sleep and staying up with the doom scrolling because I'm a news junkie. I am a uh, you know journalist at my heart, a researcher. So I, I am having a problem sleeping some nights, and it's it's uh, it's definitely affecting my performance at work. I also feel in some ways like that pressure makes me great because I'm 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 a product of pressure. So I, I, I I'm not seeking help right now, but I'm acutely aware that I am under a different type of pressure than I was pre-pandemic. And I am aware that I have a sleep issue and I've been working on meditating before sleep, working out during the day and just forcing myself to put the, f I literally put the phone in the other room the other night because I have no control over stopping myself from being on Twitter at 2 a.m. Um, I don't know if this sounds familiar to anybody else. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> Raise your hand if you're <laughs> not doing this. Uh, okay. So how did you get out of it? Um, talk therapy, medication, running, exercise. I mean, I don't want to be all Tom Cruise, but it is true that exercise does help this tremendously. Um, that is just proven. Right. hundred percent nutrient, but that isn't what did it for me. It's kind of simple. I, I, therapy. Therapy. I That's started, it. I, st I started. Talk going therapy, to therapy, psychotherapy, cognitive behavioral. Do you have pure a psychotherapy? I just Perfect. went in. I saw some. I saw someone twice a week. Um, I had to do some experimentation with different therapists. I found the therapist that helped. Really started helping me, and just you know, being in this room, freely, safely sharing whatever is on my mind, getting used to being vulnerable, and not you know. Usually, we're all terrified of being vulnerable for for all the reasons that are instilled within us, you know, as entrepreneurs, we're, it's a, we're worried it's a sign of weakness. Right. Of course, it's not. It's a sign of strength. We, I mean, I know that now, but then I didn't. And so it took a while to get used to being vulnerable and sharing my, my fears. And, and, um, and I just got, I found the right person. I got, I got lucky. And that therapy really was the secret to me moving on from my, my debilitating sleep situation. So you get out of the therapy session and you feel like a weight is lifted. Yes. You feel like you've released something. Yes. And then it gives you a little more space each time and you and then you can start to lean into it. Because right. hey, you know, I don't know if I want to cry, I don't know if I want to bring this up, but you you, you kind of ease your way into it and a little bit gets released and then the next time, hey, maybe the I want that feeling uh that cathartic feeling. But as an investor, if one of your founders came to you 10 years ago crying, you might wonder, oh my lord! I just gave this person three million dollars, and they're a crybaby who can't handle life. 
that's how the world used to look. We used to we used to optimize for toughness and grit in founders. If a founder came to you 10 years ago crying, how would you have looked at them and then post your own uh, struggles and recovery? How do you look at them now? So we all act out our anxieties in different ways, right? That's what I've learned. Mm. So someone might act out by crying. Someone else might act out by with anger. Someone else might act out by uh, retreating. And, and um, But the acting out is there. And there's no, it kind of is no, you know, no difference. You just have to recognize that we're all anxious. We're all going to act out and just be aware that we all act out in different ways. Mm. That was the big learning for me. Fascinating. Yeah. I, Jason, I figured out I act out by seeking control. That's my tell. That, that, yeah. And why, why do you do that? Do you think? I, I, or what did you I, learn about why control yes. works for you? Or was your defense mechanism? It was your retreat. My my, you know, most of these things come from your childhood, and sure. uh, and so my parents were, they loved me, but they were not authority figures. They kind of couldn't control me, and so I had to take control Got in it. order to feel secure. And so that simple truth is uh, part of me still today. I, I'm doing a better job, but it's a it is a work in process to be to recognize that I act out and seeking control. And seeking control means you might grab the steering wheel from somebody else driving. It might mean you slow down the process. You might make everybody else in the room anxious unnecessarily. Well, can I tell you that first example? You're so right in that. Go ahead. Jess, Je- you know Jessica Scorpio, my partner yep. in the world. She and I were driving to Stinson Beach. We had- It's a little bit of a I scary had, drive, I'll be honest. It is. It is. That, that PCH, <laughs> I mean, there's a- there's some places where there are no guardrails and people do go off the side. That is a whole, that, that is a whole other conversation. Yes. <laughs> One day talk to James Hong about, uh, but, but anyway, so she was driving and I had a deadline to be, um, instance for a meeting and there's no cell coverage between. And I, my, I kept in my head trying to grab the wheel. Right. It was such a pure moment of like, holy shit, I'm doing the thing that I don't want to do. And I'm seeing it play out right in front of me. And at least this time I was able to recognize it and tell her about it, which then made me stop doing it. Interesting. And in this case, we're literally talking about grabbing the steering wheel. In the case of a startup, you know, we've had to learn, or I I know one of my leaks as an investor was in the early days, and I think it does relate to this control, which is perhaps something we share. I would look at a situation and it would be very clear to me as a strategist and as somebody who studies strategy, um, you know, what I think maybe one of my superpowers is that that ability to strategize with other people. And I would just say, well, I can see a solution. And then I would make bets on founders who were not great founders. I'll be totally honest. They were bad founders. But because I projected my strategy ability, and I'm not saying this to pump myself up as a strategist, right. there's plenty of things I suck at. I would actually project into the anybody could strategize this. Come on, we can do it. But then they they couldn't. And as you know, as an investor, right. people think, oh, the investors are controlling these companies. <laughs> Au contraire. Right. We actually have very little control over the founders. Right. We have the ability right. to to fund them and then to maybe stand next to them, but you know, we're, we're investing in very strong personalities and this, for a person who has control issues 
and you move to the investor, how have you dealt with that where you don't get to sit in the cockpit anymore? You're not in the the, the pilot seat. You're in the jump seat or maybe you're sitting in first class or maybe you're right. even in, down at air traffic control is probably the better metaphor here. H- how do you deal with that when a founder is doing something and you know it's the wrong thing? How right. do you get over that control issue? It, you know, it's an, ongoing, it's an ongoing challenge, but I would say that I remind, I had the luxury of choosing this career in venture capital ah. after I was an entrepreneur. And I remind myself why I chose it. You know, I chose mm. it, yes, of course, to stay close to tech, to help those founders that um, today, that, that, you know, those peers of mine today and have the life balance that I really needed. And so I remind myself about mm. why, how I got here. And that really does do the trick. I think most of my founders would say that I don't, I don't act out with them seeking control. I think they would say that, but it is, uh, it's a constant reminder. So you have, ha- and, and just the act of telling yourself, I chose this position. Yes. I chose to yes. be an air traffic controller. I'm right. no longer the pilot. Therefore, Correct. since I chose this, um, right. why would I be upset that I'm not? Right. And if I, and also, at any point in time, I can choose to be a founder again. You have the credibility, obviously, right. to go raise money. You have your own money to go start a company. If you choose to be a pilot and that's still there, you have that choice. And this right. is one of the things that I have to remind people about is the sense of agency that gets lost sometimes. Mm. And, and if people act with this fear and i say well uh you you chose to start the company right why did you choose to start the company let's go back to that for a second and can we talk about why you chose to start this company great do do you still want to run this company because if you don't want to run this company anymore there's an off-ramp there's many many examples of people who ran companies who then just gave themselves the promotion to executive chairperson or board member and they found somebody to run the business no harm in that Right, right, right. I mean, the, 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 something you brought up before that we, we won't have time to cover today, but it's fascinating, is, is entrepreneurs are a really unique uh, <laughs> group of humans. And in fact, entrepreneurs have more in common with each other than most uh, ethnicities, races. I mean, if you look at the traits that cut across all entrepreneurs. Right. It's a it's a really interesting study that in a, in a and there's a guy that I'm working with. Um, I'm volunteering to help uh, with a company called Ikana, and it, and it's it's uh, I'm an advisor, but again, I have no financial affiliation. And this guy Michael Freeman has done probably the most research on entrepreneurship mm. and mental health, and he has written extensively about the character traits, the mental health issues that are really in every entrepreneur and and that you may sidestep it through your process but eventually most entrepreneurs are triggered and this and the these conditions that are in them are brought out mm. and instead of hiding from it we should just embrace it and in some cases like you look at someone like um, Howard Hughes right he he had many mental health issues yet yes. he was wildly successful and so understanding how to... Th- that was my question, right? too, before the break, yeah. when I had said, you know, do, right. do founders, do people with, you know, uh, mental conditions, mental uniqueness get drawn to entrepreneurship, or does entrepreneurship actually drive people to mental conditions or illness? What are your thoughts there? 
And what are the traits, either direction in terms of cause and correlation? So about half, uh, this is kind of science, not, not my conjecture, about um, half of the conditions that entrepreneurs experience as entrepreneurs are genetic. Like half, so half of the influence on their mental health is genetic. So I would say that really they're drawn there's a certain kind of person that's drawn to entrepreneurship. Somebody with and something to prove, somebody um, who has leadership or narcissism or Asperger's, uh, you know, like I mean, all, we see so a many ADHD. archetypes, ADHD right. for sure, because you get to yeah. bounce around as the CEO right. from the sales department to the product department, to the customer support department, to investors, to press. I mean, right. that right. it is definitely ADHD, ADD, seems like a superpower. But then we Dyslexia. also- Dyslexia. I mean, look at our governor's dyslexic. Yes. You're dyslexic. There's a way you've had to compensate for your dyslexia that that has made that is probably in there as part of what has made you the mix. a successful. It's definitely entrepreneur. in the mix. Yeah. Well, yeah. you know what I think also it's humbling for me um, to mispronounce words sometimes and then have to mm. study harder. And right. then people read my book and they go, "That's one of the best business books I ever read." And I'm like, "How did I get there?" You know and <laughs> Right. I realized what it was, was I, I figured out a writing style that worked for me, which was I wasn't trying to emulate anybody else's writing style. I just had heard that somebody said, um, write down what you say. And so then I started right. recording conversations that I would have, and in fact, mm -hmm. the podcast, and then I would transcribe it. And then I would use that as the framework for when I would write something. And then people say, I hear my, I hear your voice in your blog posts. And it's like, the reason you hear my voice and my blog posts is because I transcribed my voice and then polished that. That's really smart. It was just like, oh, well, like, really smart. it was just like you, and this is one of the things where the, the superpower, you can turn any, I believe, turn any of these things into a superpower. Asperger's, people can't make eye contact, who can focus, and they're at right. dinner and you're like, uh, hello, where are you? And, you know, they're just off in space solving some math problem while everybody else is talking. And you're like, yeah, that's my friend blank and the other friend blank right. and this other friend. Right. I mean, how many people do we know? I mean, do we know who are on the spectrum? And, and even I, I think, you know, like inappropriately, like, you know, like they make fun of Zuckerberg for being on the spectrum on Saturday Night Live. It's a little bit cruel, mm. I think. Yeah, it um, is. And, 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 it, and, and whether it's accurate or not, and it likely is, but it's a little bit cruel. Um, he was or, born that, I mean, he was born that way, whatever, yeah. you know, whatever you're, it, you know, here's one stat that's it's kind of fascinating. And this is what, what you're doing and what the show is doing, what we're all trying to do is shine a light on, on these conditions because it, it allows us to meet the, these talented entrepreneurs where they are versus trying to force them to be something they're not. Mm. And so, you know, this way, this statistic, I'm looking at it now, I, uh, I found it today, 38% of entrepreneurs have, have, have reported a diagnosable mental health condition that includes depression, ADHD, bipolar, anxiety, and addiction, right? Mm. So 38% of entrepreneurs. You, and you, the addiction part we see all the time, like wa right. you, you watch all these VCs going up and down Santa Road on those road bikes, <laughs> and they become mental. right taking their bikes and riding to Stinson Beach and back and Tahoe, and then they become triathletes. It's almost comical that the addiction can apply to, you know, kite surfing. Like how many of, do, right. of our friends do we see become addicted to kite surfing and they can't stop? Right. And you're like, you, you know, you, have a, you, you are the co-founder of Google. You're going to need to get off the kite 
bored at some point and, and get back to the office, you know, <laughs> and like <laughs> it's the addiction. I mean, you know, thankfully, it's not drugs or alcohol, which are, you know, negative addictions. But if you get addicted to kiteboarding or whatever, you want to ski 30 days a year, right. like not a problem. Like a healthy channeling, like you're saying, when we get yeah. back, I want to know what you decided to do because you decided to not just talk about it. You decided it was time for action and you decided to use your own personal resources, uh, money that you could put in your pocket and instead you you invested it in your founders. And I want to know what freestyle, which is for me, uh, you know, just pound for pound, one of the top seed firms in the history of Silicon Valley, you and your partner I've worked closely with both of you. And when I send a founder to somebody, I take notes on what they say when they come back. And, and amongst the elite feedback I get is when a founder meets with you and your partner, Dave. Um, and I want to know, and, it, and it, it's not like a coincidence because I'm not talking about like a sample size of one or two founders. I'm talking about a sample size of dozens of founders at this point. Uh, when we get back, I want to know what you're writing the check for when we get back on this week of startups. Hey, everybody. I'm going to start with the call to action here. Zendesk is giving startups six months of Zendesk for free. You heard that right. If you've got under 50 employees, you can go right now to Zendesk.com slash twist, and they will give you six months free because they know it's crazy out there right now. Everybody is dealing with a lot of issues in their startup, in the world, with the pandemic, etc. And they want to help support startups. And I've known Zendesk for a decade. They are amazing human beings. They make a terrific product, as you know, and they are tremendously supportive of startups. So again, six months free for your startup. And they qualify startup as under 50, which they probably could have said under 25, but I think they're being super generous right now and they want to be supportive. Zendesk is a service first CRM company with support, sales and customer engagement products designed to improve customer relationships. You know all this. The Zendesk for Startups program is offering qualified companies, again, six months free, and you can utilize their support and sales solutions and gain access to exclusive startup community uh, resources to help you scale out your customer support and customer support. You know, it went from an afterthought now to being one of the most important things you do in your startup. Yeah, sure. Everybody thinks you got to build a product. Everybody thinks you got to have a great sales team out there getting people into the top of the funnel. You know what you really need to do? You need to not have a leaky bucket and have people churn and leave your startup because nobody picked up the phone. Nobody solved their problem. Nobody did proper training, right? If you're the CEO, you need to hang with the customer support team, with the customer success team, and you need to be looking at the Zendesk tickets because that's when you're going to get great inspiration for new features and products or things you need to fix that you don't even know about. So if you're an early stage startup defined as under 50 employees, get started today with six months free. That's worth thousands of dollars. Go ahead and get to Zendesk.com slash twist. Zendesk has also just launched a new podcast, Sit Down Startup where Zendesk leaders chat with founders and CEOs and makers who are on their own startup journey. You can listen and subscribe to Sit Down Startup on Spotify or Apple Podcasts right now. Just do a quick search for Sit Down Startup. All right, welcome back. Josh Felser is here. Uh, you know his co-founder, Dave Samuel, and of course, Jenny Lefcourt, um, who I don't have as uh, a deep as a personal relationship. When did she join you guys on the firm? 
Sad. I think it was with Fun Three yeah. um, about six years ago. Yeah, and I would definitely right? include her yeah. in that group. Yeah, which absolutely, she totally. has been just a tremendous supporter of Founders. We she speaks at a yes. lot of our events, and you know, I, I, sure I have has. to walk in the room and, and stop the Q and A. You know, because she she right. won't she won't leave. She'll just sit there and answer every <laughs> single Founders question. I'm like, the lights got to go off here. Be they're closing the building. Uh, and so that shout out Jenny for, for always being there for Founders. But you decided uh, and you reached out to me to talk about it. And we, we had a little private chat about it. And I said, yeah, this sounds like a good idea. Uh, tell us what your idea was and how it's gone. And then we'll bring okay. in uh, some of your Founders. Great. So we, we looked at the, the, all the obstacles that have gone into making uh, mental health um, solutions not part of the founder mentality. And it's you know, stigma and cost and scarcity of quality therapists and the time that it takes. And, you know, some founders doubt effectiveness. And so we tried to come up with a couple of options out of the gate that were more cathartic, get the process started and really introduce founders to a this whole world of, of mental health help. And... Mm -hmm. And so we chose carefully, and so we chose two solutions. Uh, one is Maru Health, which is a three-month platform. It's a hybrid of therapy, uh, CBT, biofeedback, and just CBT being software. cognitive behavioral therapy, which is what I studied in school, and there was the, the 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 paradigm of therapy I thought was the most instructive to me which is the thinking about thinking, how you frame things, how you interpret the world, how do you speak to yourself? CBT, Cognitive yes. Behavioral Therapy. It, I, maybe you could speak just a, for a moment about why that is so effective for founders, because I do think that that is, um, I don't want to say a silver bullet, but it right. certainly is, uh, in some way, I hear it coming up over and over again with, with, with founders. It's a constant, I think of it as a constant reminder, um, a constant reminder that you're going to be okay. Now, it's represented in many ways, but it's, it's the continuity of, of CBT that I really believe creates the effectiveness versus being in therapy where it's just once a week, you go to therapy, it's very helpful, but between sessions, what happens? Nothing, right? Current, typically. But with CBT, especially when it's paired with therapy, you have this homework um, mm. that's helping you remember why you're in therapy, what your goals are, reminding you that you're okay and reminding you that you are a good person. Uh, and I'm giving, I'm, I'm giving you kind of a, a qualitative high level. It's way more complicated than that. Yeah, of course. We're not, we, we could talk, we could do CBT right. for like, there's, right. there's somewhere out there are seven podcasts about just this subject, but you yourself said you reminded yourself and you were able with your partner in life to say, oh, I'm trying to grab the steering wheel right now. Yes. Isn't that uh, something I'm working on? It's like, yeah, you're working on that. You're a good totally. person for working on that. That's an example. The example That's I right. give people is, um, uh, and I, I had to unpack this in myself because people kept telling me how delusional I was early in my career. And I unpacked it and I, I understood why people thought I was delusional. <laughs> uh, it was because I attributed bad things to random chance mm. or outsiders and being unimportant. And I attributed the good things that happened in my life to my explicit efforts. That's a interesting. And right. that, 
it right. was not true. <laughs> right. But if no. I got pulled over by a police officer, I didn't, I never blame myself for going a hundred. Well, anyway, I won't say, but I never blame myself for going very fast on highways. I just said, oh, you know what? These cars are so fast. You don't even feel the speed. That's right. what I told myself. Yeah, you, you drive a Mercedes or a Tesla. That car just drives too fast. It's too tight on the road. And you know what? Everybody else was driving the same speed, so I'm just unlucky. And you know what? Uh, everybody gets a ticket once a year. So that's, if you just divide the 250 bucks, it's like not even a dollar a year. Eh, not my fault. When in fact, right. it is explicitly my fault. My foot is on the accelerator. Right, right. And that's what cognitive behavior let me unpack is to for me to understand, hey, where do I attribute this stuff? And sometimes people, I don't know if you do this or you've seen this in founders, they hit a bad beat and they yeah. just internalize it. And I'm like, it's not your fault that Microsoft mm -hmm. decided to develop the same product and make it free for everybody. That right. one wasn't your fault. The pandemic hitting is not your fault. But what you do have control over is how you respond to those moments, right? That's why I think right. CBT is. So this program cost money, thousands of dollars, I'm assuming. Yes. Who pays? I mean, it, for the, well, we pay for it. It's, you know, it's about, I think the commercial rate is about $1,100 for the program. Yeah. So it's, a beauti it's beautiful in that it's more affordable than therapy, Fantastic. which is why it works. It scales therapists, right, in a way, I think 7X. So Amazing. you can have, which is which is. A so bit any also founder important. you invest in can have this and you'll pick yes. up the tab. Correct. I you mean, do. we just, I think we want everybody to pause yeah. for a second and think about that, you know, capitalism, you know, and venture capital specifically, it's, it's easy to attack and make fun of on TV shows and Twitter, but we are, we actually think about these things and we actually take action. Um, and specifically you're taking action. Now, what's the second thing you do? It's called the Hoffman Institute. Okay. And uh, both Dave, Jenny, and I have all experienced it. It's a week-long, intensive uh, uh, tear your tear yourself down to your studs kind of experience, where the sole purpose is to break the patterns that you that you that started in your childhood that are impacting you today as an adult. And Sounds intense. It's true. I almost left after the first day. It was so intense, but I, fortunately, I stayed and. And it had a profound experience. Uh, and we have Karen Mayo here on the podcast. So I'd like to welcome Karen into the discussion. And Karen, I just, it's its not easy for people to talk about these kind of experiences, but you have agreed to. Um, so welcome to the program, Karen. Thank you for having me. Uh, Excited to be here. Uh, so you're an entrepreneur? I am, yes. I started a company, um, Nestio, now called Funnel, based out of New York City. Um, that Josh, Jenny, and Dave invested in in 2014. Great. And tell me about your journey. Was there something that led to you wanting to do this experience? Remind me the name of the experience again, Hoffman Institute. What uh, appealed to you about doing this? Was there an acute episode or, or, or moment where you said, I need help? Or was it more like, hey, this is uh, something that could be accretive to me as a founder, so I'm going to give it a shot? It's a good question. Um, probably a little bit of both, but I do think that there was sort of an impetus, uh, something going on in my personal life where I felt an enormous amount of stress, aside from the stress I was already experiencing as a founder. And Jenny Lefcourt, um, who's my lead partner over at Freestyle, she and I um, have monthly coaching calls and she sensed it in me. And she said, let's, let's talk about what's not being talked about, what's going on. Um, 
and I gave her kind of a glimpse into what was going on in my life and just how, how stressed I was. And she suggested it. And huh. yeah. And so you said, I got nothing to lose here. Uh, I am, I am, uh, you, and this is, I think the part that people don't sometimes fully appreciate. There is a massive stress on these founders because the clock is ticking. You, you at some point have somewhere between zero months and, you know, 20 months of, of runway to figure out whatever problem you've convinced everybody to get on a ship and go to the new world. And you could all starve in the, in the sh- and the ship can sink. And that's what happens 80% of the time. So you're feeling that inherent stress that every startup founder has to go through. And then a- another one in your personal life, whatever it is, those compounding can break a person. Um, and I think that typically is when people seem to ask for help or, uh, sadly, in some cases, don't ask for help and have breakdowns or worse. So you, she senses it in this in this coaching call. She suggests that you go. What happens the first day? Oh man, like Josh, I thought I wanted to leave after the first day, but I also have a lot of Italian guilt. So being that Freestyle was funding this, I wasn't really going to go anywhere. Oh yeah, that, is it Italian Catholic guilt specifically? I think so. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I got that Irish Catholic. Yeah. It's kind of like parallel to exactly, exactly. Yeah. So, um, I mean, the first day was he her. paid for it. You're going to throw the money away. Exactly. What are you doing? Do you know how much a gallon of milk costs? You left the gallon of milk on the counter. Now it's spoiled. That cost a dollar ninety nine. There was half a gallon left. You threw a dollar away. You know what a dollar buys? When I was a kid, a dollar bought eight loaves of bread. You, you got no respect, kid. Exactly I'm sorry, right. I don't mean to trigger anybody, exactly, but exactly, yeah, right. I'm my grandmother in the corner. My grandmother, God rest her soul, uh, you know, grew up so poor. We would go to the diner, and she'd take the first loaf of bread. She would look over her shoulders, and she'd sweep it into her purse with the butter packets, and then say, "Can we get some more bread? We haven't even ordered the appetizers. The, the water hasn't hit the table." And then we go to her house and she, you want a butter roll? I got a butter roll. Can I make you a butter roll? And she just, the butter rolls come out. She had a bag of butter patties. I, I mean, th- these span, the butter patties span four presidents. I'm not kidding. Like one of them had Nixon's picture on it. It, it was that acute, the guilt of wasting food. So you, you, now you don't want to waste the money that they spent on this. And then you, you make some yeah. breakthroughs there. Is it a lot of talk therapy? Is it group stuff? What is it? It's a lot of experiences and more sort of um, interactive sort of therapy. There's talk therapy, but Mm -hmm. it's really putting yourself, it's just continuing to put yourself in these situations that that just push you over your comfort zone, right? Where you're Mm -hmm. incredibly uncomfortable, you're insanely vulnerable, and you're looking at stuff that's really ugly in some Mm -hmm. instances, things that you just push down. Right. Yeah, so... The first day was terrifying. It's terrifying, right? Because they're specific. It's the goal here, Josh, in this kind of therapy is to actually get you to that point, to get you to confront something that's a demon that is ugly, that is (laughs) you haven't actually maybe looked at before. Open a box that maybe has been sealed. They the they have figured out how to break you down, like and and until you can't help but release that those demons and confront them and and share them with the people that mm. you're going on this journey with. I mean it, it is I'm sure Karen will will share her experience like that, but I that is what they are they are really good at that. 
Yeah, I mean, I often call it therapy on steroids because you're packing in really years of therapy into a week-long program. Mm. Um, I cried every day, at least a couple times a day, and I wasn't even the biggest crier, not by a long shot. Um, you're breaking Yeah, you're Italian. Down. You're not supposed to cry. I mean, at a funeral, yes, you're supposed to cry a lot at a funeral. Exactly. But not, exactly. N- no other time in between that. In fact, it was a theme in The Sopranos that Tony couldn't bear the fact that he cried because his ducks didn't come back one season, right? Like, that was, the, if I'm remembering correctly, like... <laughs> That, that's what sent them into therapy. I mean, like, yeah. I mean, like my grandmother used to tell me, don't you cry. Don't you dare cry. Like that's the worst thing that could, that could happen. But yeah, no, you're, you're breaking yourself down and sitting in some ugly shit mm. and you're, you're, you're looking at it um, and you push through it. And the, and the whole program is really designed. It's, it's, it's very much a cycle to address those issues, sit mm. in them and then learn new behavior, really figure out what those patterns are right? Or those ah. maybe pre-existing conditions or uniqueness, right? Mm. How they manifest themselves in patterns and then figuring out tools and new skills to address those patterns, break them down and learn new ones. All right. When we get back from this break, if you're willing to share one of your own or just a composite of the type of patterns, both Josh and Karen, and we'll bring Monty into this discussion as well when we get back from this quick break. I want to actually know some of those patterns, either ones that you've experienced or that you've seen or that are archetypal, and then the breaking of them and the and the, and the the new pattern and the new habit and the new loop being instituted and how that actually works when we get back on what I think is a very important uh, episode of This Week in Startups. Hey, everybody, I want to tell you about Republic's new product. It's really exciting. You know Republic because a lot of the companies I invest in will go and do an equity crowdfunding raise on Republic. And I know Ken over there and Chuck over there. We've invested in a ton of companies together. And they have something new. It's called Note. And uh, it's the Republic Note. And you can see that at republic.co slash note. Now, as I've said many times, I believe that angel investing is a great thing for society and that everybody should have at least the opportunity to do that. And the team at Republic has launched this new, very unique profit-sharing security token, okay? And this lets investors share in the upside of companies that raise money on Republic. And Republic has over 700,000 members now. So when a company chooses to raise money on the Republic platform, Republic receives an investment, basically upside, Uh, potential in that company. We all know how that works, uh, or you should. Well, if they do have an exit, then they're going to distribute some or all of that cash to the Republic Core. That's the technology hub of Republic. And they're going to give that back to the holders of the Republic note. Well, more than 200 companies have already raised money on Republic using regulation crowdfunding. And One of our companies, Balloon, which went through our accelerator and that we syndicated and we put money in. Republic fell in love with that company as well, and they put some money in. So we've done business with them before, and we we, we love the team over there. They're really in it for the right reasons. Um, And right now, on the accredited side, they've raised money for companies like Robinhood, Carta, and Relativity Space, right? These are names you've heard of. For now, it's only accredited investors, but non-accredited investors can also uh, right now make a reservation and reserve their spot for 
you know, if they are able uh, to do a public uh, sale of these using Regulation A, which I I have a sense that they're going to do at some point. So whether you're accredited or non-accredited, I think it's worth checking out at republic.co slash note. And as always, terms and conditions do apply. Congratulations to Chuck and Ken. I know you worked uh, worked really hard on this for a couple of years now, and uh, it's great to see it come to fruition. And I'm always super open to new ways to fund these companies and new ways for people to participate in the funding of companies. And so a uh, great job uh, getting it launched and I will be participating and you should check it out. I can't tell you to participate, but I can tell you, you should check it out and get educated. Republic.co slash note. Okay. Let's get back to this amazing episode. Welcome back to this week in startup. Josh Felser is with us from freestyle capital. Also Karen Mayo is with us and, uh, Karen is the CEO of uh, Funnel uh, Leasing, which is FunnelLeasing.com. Am I correct? Correct. Uh, and um, also with us is Mani Kulasoria. Kulasoria. Got, got it. Awesome. Got it. You're, sure you're Sri Lankan like my friend Pali- Chamath Palihapitiya? That's correct, yes. What is it about Sri Lanka? Is the education system there very good, or is it is it just happened to be that this tiny little country produces such dynamic individuals? Is there, is there, are they over indexing for entrepreneurial spirit there, <laughs> like Australia does? I, I'm not sure if it if if you can say the education system is better. It's very different. I had this conversation with you know one of my kids the other day, and she was complaining about you know kids sharing grades uh, uh, in in her school. And I told her, well, in Sri Lanka, where I grew up, every at the end of every semester, I had 42 p- students in my class that list out number one through 42. So Oof. just like there's a, there's a number one guy, there's a number 42 wow. guy. Wow, can't wait to so. get to your <laughs> mental challenges. <laughs> oh, my Lord. So. God almighty, that is, that is, that is sadistic to, the, to a level... <laughs> In education, uh, that is, you know, b- the I- I'm I'm almost thinking I take the corporal punishment that I got uh, where the teachers hit us. I was the last generation to get struck in, in a classroom. I think in the eighties, I would totally take getting hit in the back of the head by Brother Warren than uh, being listed <laughs> as in the low f- in the high forties, uh, which is where I would have been. Um, uh, Mani, did you go also through any of these programs? I did. I went through uh, Miru Health as a program, and uh, but but to give you a little bit of context as to how I got there, uh, I was you know up until maybe a couple of years ago a firm believer that uh, mental health is a sign of weakness. Um, mm. This is the third time uh, that I'm doing a startup, uh, and in hindsight, I know that I went through the same you know stress and anxiety uh, situations c- consistently and continuously, but. Uh, it didn't manifest in any way other than, you know, just I'm tired or, you know, sleepless. And my, my thinking about it is you got to get over it. You know, you, this, suck you it up. this job, this exactly suck it up. This is what you need to go. Nobody There's needs no to crying in startups. That, that, that's correct. So, so and, I, and I truly Trust believe me, there's that, a lot of crying in startups. <laughs> so, so, and I was, it also made me a bad manager and a CEO because I expected that off my team as well. Right. Uh, and you expected then, them to suck it up. That's exactly did right. You put a, right. Did you put a sign on the wall at the end of every quarter with everybody's ranking as an employee? 
<laughs> you know, I, I, I you considered this. it. <laughs> uh, I, I had that general pattern, uh, famous saying. I, now I don't even remember it because I took it off. I decided it's not appropriate. Uh, it's like a, a plan executed today or action executed today is better than a plan for tomorrow, right? So I was like, everybody, we just need to like you know pummel through it, and that was my my management style, and that's the way I treated myself. Uh, and then I had an experience very similar to Josh's where I did have a physical manifestation. And uh, this mm. was just about two years ago. Um, I was working inside a Stanford research and uh, I, I got chest pains. And so then it started getting worse. I Google it. Well, am I having a heart attack? What are the symptoms? Uh, well, you're How old are like, you at the time? Uh, so I'm 48 today. I was 46 then. Got so, it. A little uh, bit of an early age for a heart attack. Exactly. So, so I was like, okay, this, this is nothing. This is going to go away. Uh, I'm driving home uh, and I'm on Sand Hill and I still get chest pain. So I call my wife and I say, look, I'm just going to go into Stanford ER, check myself in, get this checked out. It's probably nothing. Uh, and you walk in with, with chest pains, you know, they have a protocol, they go through the tests. And one of the things that they test for is levels of troponin. It's, 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 if it's elevated, that, that means you're having a heart attack. And my troponin levels were mildly elevated. So the guy's like, well, we think you had a heart attack. We're going to check you in. We're going to keep you overnight. Uh, so that was an absolute shocker, right? Yeah. So That's um, stressful in and of itself. Yes. You so may now, have had some minor heart attack. Exactly. And the next day, the cardiologist shows up. We looked at your reports. You had a heart attack. We're going to do. And I went through, uh, uh, you know, a CT scans, uh, invasive angiogram a, a thing called a nuclear stress test where they like you know pump like this blue liquid but they couldn't find any blockages or anything that would really create a heart attack but i kept having these chest pains so uh so a year later i figured out what it was and and i, I worked very closely with the doctors at stanford i also worked closely with you know my primary care physician but uh I really wanted to get to the bottom of it, and I couldn't believe that I have any kind of a cardiac issue. And I found out what I what I was having is a thing called coronary artery vasospasm. It's the spasming of the arteries due to stress. Right. Interesting. Uh, so it mimics a heart attack. That's correct. Or it's because the same. It, yeah, it, it's it's similar to a heart attack, just with a different cause. Yes, it's it's it could be dangerous but it's typically not because mm. it only uh, limits blood flow into the heart for a limited period of time because it. it's just when the spasms happening got it and 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 you come back and then if you dig into the science of why why that is is you know we have a sympathetic nervous system and a parasympathetic nervous system and the sympathetic nervous system is there for a reason it's to basically say okay you got to you got to run there's something happening this is dangerous you got to go um and for founders, I think that happens all the time, right? Every because day. Every single day, right? The job and of a founder often um, is to hire 100 smart people, and then they bring you as a reward every day the five problems they couldn't solve, the five biggest, most challenging things. So literally your, your month is somewhere between 25 and 100 problems that the smartest people you could hire couldn't fix. That's correct. Yeah. And all the things that, act, that, that would engage the parasympathetic nervous system, the founders, they don't get to have, which is stability, startups inherently unstable, mm. uh, the existential threat, you know, whether it is you know, Microsoft with their free product or a new competitor or you're an incumbent in the industry trying to crush you, 
uh, your best engineer leaving. Like there are so many things that happens every single month, every single quarter that you feel like it's going to kill me, mm. right? So, uh, uh, or the ability to plan. We all plan. We come up with, you know, whatever quarterly plans, et cetera. But by the time you get into the six, six weeks into it, that plan's wrong. You got to start all over again. So uh, all of those are things that would otherwise you know, encourage the parasympathetic nervous system, which helps, helps you calm down and relax. And, the, and most founders don't get to do that. And, and, and that's, I believe, uh, a big driver of, of mental, uh, mental health. Um, Karen, you were talking a little bit about the loops. So you've gone into the deep, deep, deep waters. Mani, it seems like you've done the CBT stuff. You've started to 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 um, think about your thinking and becoming a better manager. Karen, let's swing back to you and the the deep stuff for a second. Um, what was that like to go deep? What were some of the patterns that you needed to unbundle, unbreak, and and re and reconstitute? Yeah, you know, I mean, I think for me, similarly to Josh, control was a big one. When I get scared, and listen, running running and operating a company. It's freaking scary, mm. right? So when I get scared, I seek out control. So I was constantly seeking out control to kind of own more than, frankly, I should have and, and, and impeding progress. That's sort of how it manifested itself in my, my work life. And self-victimization. Things happen, like life mm. happened to me. Never the other way right. around. So something goes wrong, you attribute it to yourself. Yes. And that would, yeah. and, you know, self-sabotaging and, and just, just, kind of negative self-talk right yeah the voice in your head hey you fucked this up hey you got to take this project away from this person you hired now you got an extra project now instead of doing two projects with 50 percent of your time you're doing three projects 33 percent of your time and you're blaming yourself for them all failing so you're literally working against your own best interest now it's just a death spiral right just like josh's death spiral right yeah we and we all go into them sometimes where we we apply the exact wrong technique. Exactly. Best okay. of intentions, but wrong technique. So the and by the way, we're not we're not the crazy we're all on this on this on your podcast, Jason. We're not unique, right? This is pervasive throughout our entire industry. We're just talking it's about the norm. it openly. Right. It's the norm and the more we talk about it, I don't, I don't know how many, we're 52 minutes in right now. We, we, you know, I get a little time check here on my uh, my Dell laptop once in a while. And, uh, you know, we're 52 minutes into it and we're literally scratching the surface. And it's so familiar, the four of us, you know, two of which, uh, and, you know, you three know each other well and, and, uh, and Josh and I know each other well. It's just all head nodding like, yep, yeah, been there. It happens every time where you get scared and then you, your fear drives you to make a choice out of fear. And, you know, I hate to like bring up pop culture, but <laughs> you look at like being a Jedi and I talk to founders about like the Jedi philosophy or the samurai philosophy. Sometimes I think this is why people perceive like VCs as a little kooky is I tell them like you, you have to remain calm. And you cannot give in to your fear and you cannot give in to your anger because it leads you to the dark side. You must remain calm. And if you remain calm, then all the people around you remain calm and you can actually make intelligent decisions. Karen and I are laughing. I'll let Karen talk about that word you just used because it's 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 something we're both familiar with. Go ahead, so Karen. Karen. You want to 
I actually just emailed Josh right before this <laughs> to talk about how not letting my dark side drive the conversation. You know, the dark side is exactly kind of what you talked about, right? All that negative self-talk, right? And that spiral that if you mm-hmm. continue to make those choices, live in those patterns, that road and that, that, that side of yourself, right? That, that tells you that that's all there is, right? Right. Um, and it's one thing that, you know, I mean, that you guys were saying that kind of stuck with me. I don't think it's about being fearless, right? I think for the longest time, I thought, man, I'm gripped in fear and it's driving these decisions. I need to learn to be fearless. I think it's learning how to manage that fear and understanding when it comes up, working through it and then move and then moving through it, um, which was a lot of what Hoffman was designed to do. And Josh, I'll let you jump in, fill in any gaps. No, I think you said it. I mean, Hoffman, it, it, you have to confront your dark side. And that's, that's what's so scary about Hoffman. We've been using other words for it, but it's, we are, you are there to confront your dark side so that you can put it in a place that you're aware of it, but it allow, you shine a light on it, but it allows you to divert that dark side energy into the good path. You know, your right, your right, your right road, they call it, your right road. The and righteous I think yeah, path of the That righteous. is what Hoffman does. It shines a light on the dark side so that you can, recognize it, deal with it, rewire your brain, and then focus on, you know, the right path. Yeah, and, and there's that great scene when, when Luke goes to Dagobah and he says, hey, you have to go into the cave now, and Luke grabs his weapons. He says, your weapons, you will not need them. That's, that's not the point of going into this cave. You're not going to fight your way. You're going to give into it, right? And then sometimes the path is going through something very difficult, not fighting something very difficult, the, the reason I think stoicism as a philosophy has become trendy um, is that, and I, I don't, I'm not endorsing it in any way, but there is an exercise that Tim Ferriss talked about at some point that was an unlock for him, which is, let me imagine me losing what is important to me. So for a founder, their company is important to them. Their reputation as a founder is important to them. Success is important to them. What if the company goes away? What if the world sees them as a failure? What happens now? And actually, when you go through that exercise as a founder, what I've seen universally is you realize that's actually not that bad. If the company goes away, it's venture capital. Josh told me 80%. Jenny told me 80% fail. All we care about is if that you worked hard and uh, take a year off and then tell me your next best idea so we can give you the first check. And once you go through the mental exercise of, oh, wait a second, everybody is going into this with an 80% chance of failure. And this is not the beach at Normandy. This is not an actual war, but it feels like a war. So then you associate it with death. The, the the inevitability of death, the finality of death. There's no success like failure in our business. That right. is where success comes from. Is the, that failure? Uber was Travis's third company, you know, and 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 the struggle is the success. Once you accept that fear, right now you're free because you can just look at it and say, yeah, th- th- I I am I am meant to struggle. I am meant to have this fear because I've picked the path not taken, and it requires a bold person not to be fearless, but to accept the outcome that could drive fear, which is failure. Failure does suck. (laughs) It sucks, but I mean, 
Here's what I've learned, Josh. You know my career up front. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I, so many failures. And, you know, people don't remember anything, but whatever you did, that was a, a win. That It's not the end. It's not the end game. It's just a step in the journey. Yes. When you experience it, it sucks, but it's not the end. And that's what I think, you know, there's a next and a next and a next. And that is what I think the healthy mind is able to focus on. Yes. Have that perspective, which is what you're talking about. And, so you know, in, you and in Jedi work, sometimes you lose a limb. Yeah. You know, and Darth Vader lost three at once. You know, Luke Skywalker lost one. Like, it's kind of, I think they put that in there to show, like, you know, this is serious work. Um, Monty, when you look at your, when you look at the bad Monty manager, you know, like when you managed, like you were managed as a, a student in Sri Lanka with a <laughs> with a with a level of um pressure that's unnecessary. How do you manage now? How do you manage now? And then how does it feel to go to work every day in the morning and every night when you put your head on the pillow when you've changed your management style? Yeah, so I, I learned three primary things coming out of this. The first is it's it's actually about me, uh, and I, I I work much better when I see results. I, I like I like to measure everything. So uh, inside of the Meru app, and before that, I was working with another CBT therapist, and uh, uh, the biofeedback component, where you're looking at your heart rate variability and how to improve your heart rate variability doing the different exercises, was something that. Uh, allowed me to believe in therapy and the benefits of the therapy. If if that didn't exist, frankly, I, I probably wouldn't have gotten gotten over the the the, the stigma related to therapy myself personally. Uh, so once I got through that, the second thing that I learned, and I'm still you know learning and I'm still trying to improve, is trying to keep everything bottled up uh, mm. is not a sign of strength. So. Uh, being being able to freely talk about it, and you can't talk about everything with everybody, but being able to, I incredibly appreciate the weekly one-on-ones I have with Josh, uh, the ability, of course, to sp- speak with my co-founders, one of whom is the third-time co-founder with me, and I have a you know, very close relationship, and even my family members, that has actually helped me uh, 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 significantly. And then the third component is, you know, therefore, what's my management style towards everybody else? So we're still a young startup and we're still a small team. But I feel like I have now a lot more understanding of what people potentially could be going through, even if they're not talking about it. Um, and a lot more empathy towards that. And, and I'll give you an example. Like three weeks ago, Josh and I were on a one-on-one and I said, I am just just complete, extremely proud of how the team has come together in the last two months in this pandemic environment. The, this particular industry that we're in got completely decimated. Uh, and and the team has been doing incredibly great, uh, but I was fearful that that we're going to burn out, right? And after a quick conversation, we decided, you know what? Let's give everybody a mandatory week off. And uh, the same day, I said I got on Slack. I loaded, told everybody, look, whether you like it or not, everybody's going to take a week off. Hold on a second, end of August, Manu. Right? Didn't you just tell me earlier that if it can be done today, it should be done today, not tomorrow? If you take a week <laughs> off, now you're saying it's got to be done next week, but we could have done it this week. You're evolving. And for people who don't know, you're the CEO and co-founder of Codify, which is C-O-D-I-F-Y dot A-I, and you provide machine learning to increase the efficiency of the food supply chain, That's which correct. is particularly important. Um, however, I'm going to guess your customers had more important things to focus on than their machine learning efforts. 
uh, and picking up the phone during that the the first couple of months of that pandemic when every single product was you know not left on the shelves. And, and by the way, by the way, Monty and and and, and Jason, I have uh, several hundred dollars of products from Codify that are sitting actually cut and dry as the brand name sitting outside in yeah. my driveway that were just <laughs> delivered. They were just delivered perfect. seriously during this, during this uh, podcast. Uh, <laughs> perfect. Um, so in the old days, you would have just told everybody, suck it up. That's it. How do you feel when somebody doesn't perform? You're a performance-based person. I am as well, Monty. And I think Josh is a control person. Uh, we heard that. I think almost everybody who's a founder, you know, expects performance. I just want to go around the horn now with how do you deal with low performers who are not going to work out um, or who are just not cut out to be part of your team today, Money? And how did you deal with them previously? Yeah, so I actually think that uh, performance well measured uh, is, is going to very clearly show you, is it a performance issue because of a lack of capability or lack of will? Or is it a performance issue because the, pers the person is either being managed incorrectly or being given the wrong tasks? In, that latter, in that latter category, you know, it's, a ma ma it's a matter of you know, replacement, retraining, uh, or just helping the manager manage better. In that earlier case, you need to you know, find a, 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 a fair way of you know, letting, letting that, in that individual go. Did, how did you used to deal with a low performer in that previous group? So quite aggressively, actually. I the you know you heard the term you know hire slow, fire fast. I believed in it, and and uh, and to some extent, you know, I still do. Uh, but I don't make rash decisions around that fire. So you were, you were a fire somebody on the spot, like just get the hell out of here, or just chew them out, or maybe just be too aggressive with them. Like what's wrong with you? Uh, I was always very diplomatic about it. I, I would not come across as aggressive or mean oh. in any way. I'll find a very you know easy way to do it, and I've 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 let go of plenty of people with whom you know I've continued to have a relationship and, and a friendship. But yes, I would be very quick to make the decision. Yeah, and uh, Karen, how about yourself as a manager of people, which is just one of the the critically important skills we have. We we have to demand excellence. We have to demand performance because. A startup is almost universally um, in a race against the clock and or competitors. How do you demand excellence without breaking people um, and without taking their work away and saying, I'll just do it myself? Because that seemed to be a totally. in your game. Of course, of course. You know, I don't know if this is necessarily a pre or post Hoffman thing. I think this is more yeah. of just early days of being a founder to learning and learning from those mistakes and not making them again. Um, early, early days, I had the opposite approach as Manny. I tried to save people, um, realized very quickly that the best thing I could do for them is deliver them open and honest feedback and give them very mm. clear expectations. And, you know, I don't know if this is necessarily something to be happy about or proud of, but I've never had to part ways with an individual who's ever said to me, I, I never saw this coming. They always said, well, you know, you were very clear from the get-go we had open and honest conversations. I knew I wasn't performing. And the time in which those conversations occurred were wildly truncated from early on. Um, is there always room for improvement? Yes. But I do think that deploying that level of candor with someone and being very open and very clear about expectations, 
serves everyone, even if it's not the outcome of the person staying. Yeah, with being the hero and trying to save a person is not doing anybody a favor. If it's if it's not a match, it's better they be in a place that's a match. Exactly. And and and. and the experience you'll have if you're if you have that leak in your game like you did where you you try to be the savior and you try to to do this i, I did it at times um is that when you finally do come to your senses the person goes yeah i mean i can't believe you didn't fire me three weeks ago or three months ago or i can't believe you let this fester for so long i've been looking i've been looking for a job for six months i just haven't found one yet um and it is the hard work of a founder building a team and, the, and, and those dysfunctional relationships build up and candidly, they make you not want to go to work as the founder because you got people on the team who you're no longer rooting for. <laughs> it creates more stress, not less, right? So it actually has yeah. the, the exact opposite um, impact of what you're going for. Yeah, the, the way I say it, Josh, to folks is, you know, when they when they call me, and I'm sure you get this call a lot, which is I can't make it work with this person or I'm trying, what do I do? I just tell them like, are you rooting for them to succeed or are you rooting for them to fail? Uh, right. which I had read in an article by Dr. Mark Goulston, who's just a really smart um, psychologist down uh, in Los Angeles who I became friends with. He was actually in the o he was an expert witness in the OJ trial famously. <laughs> uh, and he just said to me at some point, Jason, are you rooting for this person uh, or not? And I was like, kind of rooting for them to fuck up so I can fire them. And he's like, mm -hmm. I think you need to get them out now because that is really crazy. <laughs> like, right. Um, how were you when you hear this discussion of management of people and talent and resources? How, how, what, what, what did you do well and wrong as a control freak? I'll just use the clinical term. <laughs> and as a reformed control freak, what do you do now? I think the 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 main way that I counter being controlling is to be authentic. And uh. when I'm authentic, my anxiety drops. And if I'm trying to hide my anxiety, you're fraud. You're a fraud, right? Mm. You're you're you know you're anxious about something. You're not sharing it, and so you're presenting a different situation. And so I think what what I do now is I'm just and I've been doing this for years. Is I just seek to be more authentic, even when it's hard to say or maybe hard for the person to hear. And it's a constant process for me is to really remember that by being authentic i'm reducing my anxiety and therefore i'm less controlling so it's a it's a it's a whole um ecosystem <laughs> for me yeah and, and it, it's hard to say to a founder what you authentically feel because you you place the bet on them and you're in business with them and, and what is the fallout going to be right you have to think that through like if you authentically say to somebody i'm really disappointed in what's happened here um, which I had to say to a founder recently. And uh, they said, uh, you are like the my hero. And I, I am devastated that I've lost, you've lost faith in me. And I said, well, here's the two reasons why I lost faith. So, so Jason, what I would be curious, so you use the word disappointing, right? That puts you in a parent role. Yeah, like it did, to, yeah. Right, right. And so what I try and do is I say, hey, can I be direct with you? That's my, yes. that's my line. Much right? better framing. Right? Much and, better framing. And then they, they take responsibility for saying yes. They say yes. And then we have a conversation. I definitely say disappointing also. I try not to. When I say it, I know that it sets up the kind of role that I don't want. Um, right. It's not a I good still, role to be in. Yeah. And it's... I still do it, but I try not to, you know. There's a great scene in um, 
and it is is obviously a father son theme but in the in the film gladiator you know the the you know the king says to the son your failures as a child is is, is my failure as a father right and don't don't beat yourself up so much and then what i said to the founder was you know like i i didn't i feel like i didn't make it clear enough to you what you that that this was going to be an inevitability if you kept doing the same pattern over and over again, that this was going to sink the company. And I should have been, I should have rang the alarm louder to you. I should have said it, you know, uh, more clearly, more authentically, right, to use your word. And this is a very weird dynamic where, uh, you know, as we get old, Josh, you and I are becoming... It's very, and, and it's much, I don't know if it's a weird feeling for you now to be an elder statesman in, in a lot of these situations when we were the kids and it feels like it was yesterday. We were the, right. we were the right. wonder kids, you know, that these old guys were writing checks to and now we're the check writers and, and people look at us as old and it's like, I don't right. feel old, but okay. Right. <laughs> you actually have to become self-aware of that, that your words right. are being taken differently mm-hmm. when you, mm-hmm. you know, hit 50 40, mm-hmm. whatever, than when you were the 20-something or the 30-something. By the way, Monty's right there. He's almost there at 50. Almost right there. <laughs> yeah, he's about to, he said, I'm 49, so I'm almost right there. I mean, <laughs> yeah. after this pandemic, I feel like I'm 64. Right. And was, I mean, this has been hard. Uh, well, let's wrap on that, on, on, a, on, yeah. a, on a, a note about how we've all evolved, uh, you know, due to the pandemic. I like to think that there is a silver lining to this, this great pause, you know, in reevaluating uh, what we're all doing and surviving through it. Uh, Mani, uh, when you look at the pandemic and the struggles you've gone through, what what makes you hopeful and, and keeps you coming to work? Uh, right now, frankly, the team. The team has really stepped up. We've actually, I mean, very specific, without getting into the details specific to the company, we've turned around and found, a, you know, a brand new, you know, uh, demand side for our business. Uh, and uh, we're moving into Q3 with uh, with a lot of strength uh, in an environment that is still quite chaotic. So the so. team inspires you, keeps you as the leader. When you see the team perform well, that fills your bucket. That gets the energy back in your system. Absolutely. That's yeah. my parasympathetic nervous system kicking right there, thankful to the team. Yeah. Uh, I, 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 I have that feeling too, actually. Uh, I was telling my team, like, I couldn't be more proud of you the other day. And I hate giving too much praise because I don't want anybody getting a little bit uh, you know, ahead of their skis. I want to keep everybody sharp and, and working hard. But I tell them, I said, I just got to tell you guys and gals, like, folks, uh, this has been an incredible performance. And uh karen how about you when you're when you're going through this cataclysmic black swan i don't know if you're one of the lucky businesses that surges during it goes sideways or 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 buckles uh but independent of that what gives you hope for the future what keeps you grinding yeah i mean absolutely the team i'd say also the mission right we set out to create a massive impact on the real estate industry so the fact that we have amazing devoted, talented individuals um, who believe in that mission to join us. That's been huge. And we've definitely over communicated, or I really don't think it's over communication. We're communicating openly, honestly, frequently with those team members. And their response to that has been nothing short of incredible. So yeah. absolutely that. It is, uh, it is one of the the things you learn, Josh, along the way is you got to enjoy every sandwich and you, you got to enjoy the people you work with. And Nothing is more satisfying than a team that is rallying 
uh, you know, in that fourth quarter uh, or fighting that good fight, no, independent of the outcome, a team putting in the effort is is just such a reward in and of itself and being part of that team, let alone having the privilege of leading that team, Josh, uh, as, as we, uh, you know, hopefully start to figure this pandemic out and hopefully our country follows the lead of the countries that have defeated it. What makes you hopeful for the future? Uh, I'm on a, I am on a task force with Bill Trenchard working for the state. And so I get to see, and the task force's sole mission is to find private company solutions to many of the problems that we're mm -hmm. facing because of the crisis. So I've been able to see, you know, our peers rise up to the occasion and really get involved in ways that I, I would never have thought mm. before. And so I think that that spirit of, hey, that we're all in this together, we must solve this together, not just our governor, not just our, you know, those who work in the state, but all of us, the private sector, public sector come together and it won't be solved unless we do, but seeing how that's happening gives me hope that we will actually get through this in a way um, it will be hard and there are people who are impacted in ways that none of us have to deal with. But I do have hope that we will all come together and find a way out. Awesome. Josh, you know, I really appreciate the, I always appreciate you uh, and the work you do, uh, but I continue to be impressed, um, especially with this effort to, to really do something proactively for founders and to any founder out there who's listening, uh, if you're if you're struggling, if you're feeling uh, despair, uh, raise your hand and and talk to people. That's the that's the message, right, Josh? If if you're feeling despair, that is not uncommon. You are just like everybody else. You got that imposter syndrome. You're feeling stress. You're feeling anxiety. You're not sleeping at night. Go talk to your investors. Go talk to your family and friends and get help. That's it, you're right, Josh? You're not alone. And the fact that, Jason, you, you chose to spend this entire podcast talking mental health is a huge, a huge gift to the community. And I hope that it does resonate with people. And they do seek help and realize that it's not, there's no stigma. It's actually a sign of strength no to stigma. raise your hand no and ask for help. It is, I mean, there, there is no stigma in somebody who is climbing a mountain uh, to, at a moment when they look down, feel some fear. Uh, or for, for, for somebody who's fighting in a war to think this might not end well. You know, uh, yeah. it, it is the natural state of affairs. Get comfortable with it. And the way to get comfortable with it is, I think, talking it out. And look, we talked for 70 minutes. And I think we all come out of this conversation, just the four of us, let alone, you know, the two, three, four hundred thousand people who will eventually consume this content. You can feel the cathartic effect of just talking about it in this, in this limited, you know, like I feel like I just want to give each of you a hug. Karen, thank you so much for coming on the podcast and sharing um, what you've learned. Everybody check out funnelleasing.com. Uh, and so thank you, Karen. Thanks, Jason. Thank you, Josh. Uh, thank you. And, and Mani, uh, continued success with codify.ai and for fighting the great fight and uh for sharing your struggles and and, and the shame and the and, and the and the fact that you didn't want to believe in this and you thought it was weak and now you realize it's it's actually the weakness is to not recognize that we're all human right i went through a little bit of that myself i, I thought you know you gotta you gotta be a tough guy and, and you, you got through didn't you money 
Uh, I did, and thank you very much for having me and giving us this time to talk about it. All right, and then and you got to stay healthy, okay? You promise? All right, <laughs> stick with us. I don't want to lose anybody. And yeah, you know, and Josh, um, you know we we've uh, we've been at this for a while, and uh, like I said at the at, when I was starting the wrap up process, I continued to be impressed by you as a human being. Um, you've got such great intent, and you could retire. You made your money already. Um, but you're out there doing really good work in the world, and 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 I and I work with everybody, I, and I have everybody on the podcast, and I can tell you, you're a fine human being, uh, and, and you know I don't I don't say that lightly. So great job, I'm very proud. Thank of you, Jason. Proud Thank you for using you. your platform. Yeah. Thank okay, you. we'll see you all on uh, this week at Startups next time. Bye bye. <laughs>